you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Tony Costa from Toronto Baptist Seminary to discuss his new class on social justice. Today we discussed why is Christianity targeted as the enemy by many who hold this view? What does social justice look like in the Canadian context? Biblical social justice versus secular social justice? Team Woke versus Team Spoke, and Good and Bad Discrimination, among other things. This episode is a follow-up to episode 38, when we had Principal Kirk Wellam on to discuss social justice and the gospel statement. Uh, we pray that this episode would be edifying and encouraging to you. Thank you for joining us, uh, Professor Costa. My great pleasure. Yeah, no, um, and thank you for taking the time out. Uh, we really appreciate you and your work. And so for those who don't know you, can you give us a, a, a background on you? Sure. I, uh, I'm one of the professors at Toronto Baptist Seminary. I also teach at Heritage College and Seminary in Cambridge, Ontario, and uh, also teach as an instructor at the University of Toronto. I uh, did my undergrad, my bachelor and master's uh, in religious studies and biblical studies philosophy at the University of Toronto. And I completed a, a PhD in New Testament and theology at uh, Radboud University in the Netherlands. And I'm also an ordained minister. I'm the teaching pastor at uh, Oakwood Wesleyan Church in Toronto. Okay. Okay. Well, and then, so how long have you been at Toronto Baptist? I've been in Toronto Baptist for about 16 to 17 years now. Whoa, really? Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. And then your, 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 main, your main specialty is apologetics? Yes, it's apologetics, but but I also teach the areas of uh, social ethics and morality. I teach in the area of um, ethics, morality, and also angels and demons. I've taught in a variety of courses. I've also taught, uh, I'm doing a course right now on social justice and on the Trinity as well. So it's not just apologetics, but there's also a diverse field that I also study and uh, teach. Mm -hmm. So beyond, uh, I guess, your teaching interests what what would you say whether theological or i don't know secular the right term but like what are your current outside of that realm's interests right now like what are you maybe digging into studying reading what's i'm i'm looking particularly uh, into the whole area of social justice as it is such uh, a germane topic uh, for today's society it's an area that has uh, dominated both uh, our schools our political systems it's dominated our governments our courts uh, and so right now I see that as a pressing issue. I also specialize in Islam as a comparative world religion. And uh, I'm also very concerned about the advance of Islam into the West and the uh, conversion rates um, among Muslims uh, from uh, taking Christians, of course, into the Islamic fold. So basically social justice and um, the, uh, the advancement of Islam into Western culture and society. Okay, so... How, how's the class going? 
Now that you're teaching that. Yes. This the, is the first class? This is the first class on social justice. Okay. Uh, principal Kirk Wellam had asked me, the principal of Toronto Baptist Seminary, had asked me to teach this course because we, we've been going back and forth on this, and he thought it was time for us to start addressing the issues. So the class is going very well. We have a, a, a substantial number of students, and they are some of them are being exposed to this for the very first time. And for mm -hmm. some of them, it has been expressed as an eye-opener, and other student expressed it as frightening. So uh, I'm, I'm very glad that uh, Toronto Baptist Seminary has opened the doors to this subject. Mm -hmm. So I guess, how would you um, preface your students or, or kind of try to shape the way that they look at this issue? Because I think for for so many Christians, you know, our, our intent is to take a biblical worldview and to filter everything through the Bible right. um, as our arbiter of truth or mm -hmm. our moral standard. Or, right. And so I think um, many tenets of social justice— um, try to resonate with the Bible. Right. Um, but it's sometimes easy to start from somewhere and apply it on top of as Correct. opposed to see it through. Correct. So how do you kind of shape that? Yes, in our first class, we dealt exactly with that subject. We, we looked at, we have to come to the realization that at the end of the day, it's all about worldviews. Mm -hmm. And so there is a concept of social justice in the Bible, but there's also a secular concept and definition. We need to be careful that we don't equivocate. It's very easy to equivocate and use the same terminology and assume we're using the same types of arguments when we're not. So what I did was I differentiated between the biblical worldview of social justice, and it all begins with the fact that every human being is made in the imago dei, in the mm -hmm. image of God, and therefore, because every human being bears the image of God, they are worthy of respect, of dignity, they have integrity, they have human rights, which are derived from the image of God. And in the Bible, social justice concerns the most vulnerable in society, which in biblical times was the orphan, the widow, the alien or the foreigner uh, in Israel, and so forth. When we look at the secular definition of social justice, it is very different. The social justice paradigm basically is a form of Marxism, which argues that there is a tension between what is called the oppressor and the oppressed. And social justice sees uh, Judeo-Christianity and Western European culture as the prime antagonist, the oppressor, the patriarchy, and so forth, which has uh, foisted upon the world social injustice and the slave trade and the crusades and many other issues. And so at the end of the day, social justice is about what is called equality of outcome. Everyone is the same at the end of the day. And if you dig a little deeper, what you find is that this is simply another form of Marxism, that at the end of the day, everyone is the same. You make the same income, uh, and it's all about state power. Uh, power is concentrated on the state. In the biblical worldview and in the history of Judeo-Christianity, the, the view has been that of equality of opportunity. That is to say, in a free Western society, everyone has the ability and the freedom to make something of themselves. If they apply themselves with hard work and, and diligence, they can become a doctor, a lawyer, uh, an engineer. Um, but in a social justice worldview, uh, everyone's the same, irregardless of, uh, of whether or not uh, they have an ability to excel in a certain area. And so we really need to be careful here because social justice uh, also comes down to 
sexual orientation, gender. It's all about group identity, whereas the Judeo-Christian worldview sees the individual as important and special, God's image bearer. So it's basically group identity politics, uh, and that's why you hear so much today about um, uh, oppressed gay groups, uh, oppressed um, minorities, and the, the culprit in all of this are, is the white privileged um, Judeo-Christian uh, um, inheritors of, of what they see as the patriarchy that has taken over Western Europe, North America. Mm-hmm. Now, do you get any pushback from the students as to, okay, well, I don't want to use it for those things and, you know, levels of, oh, we want to use it as a tool to help understand or, or mm-hmm. you know, to, to apply biblical justice to mm-hmm. context that mm-hmm. we may not have seen. Like, mm-hmm. Is there any of that pushback? No, there's, the- there's no pushback because they understand that the worldview of, of social justice in the Bible is one of helping your neighbor. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus said, do unto others what you'd want them to do to you. And that means, of course, if you want respect, you show respect. If you want love, you show love. And therefore, they understand that the biblical concept of justice, like feeding the poor and and clothing the naked, this is something that the church has been doing uh, for centuries now. In fact, the hospitals were created by the church. The Mm -hmm. orphanages were created by the church. The university was created by the church. And many of these establishments that we see today that uh, we think of the Salvation Army, we think of the Scott Mission, we think uh, think of compassion, various organizations that care about the downtrodden, uh, the oppressed, and so forth. But it, it, it views them in the light of not this oppressor oppression paradigm, but they're God's image. And as mm. image bearers mm-hmm. of God, they're worthy of respect and dignity, irregardless of their color, irregardless of their ethnicity. The Bible divides humanity mm-hmm. into two camps. You're either in Adam or you're in, in Christ. Christ. Right. If you're in Adam, you will die. If you're in Christ, you will live. Mm-hmm. But here's the problem. If we take social justice to the extreme, what we end up doing is we become a charity organization, but we don't give the gospel. And the thing is, you can fill someone's stomach, you can put clothes on their back, but if they don't, they don't know Jesus Christ, then they're facing a Christless eternity. And so mm-hmm. what we need to do is keep this in balance. Yes, we feed the, the hungry, we clothe the naked, we visit the prisoners, but you need to give them the gospel as well. Mm-hmm. It's not just charity. It's not orthopraxy yeah. alone. It's orthodoxy as well. Yeah, so the material needs are subordinate to their spiritual needs. Correct, and it's not to neglect the material needs. What does James say in James 2? If someone walks into your assembly and he's poorly dressed and and someone comes in with a glamorous uh, robe with a gold ring, uh, will you put the poor man in the back and put the rich man in the front? James says, look, you can't do that. And mm-hmm. you can't just say to the, to the poor, God bless you, you know, go your way. J- James says, hey, you can say that, but you're not filling their stomachs. They're going away hungry still. So we are called to, to care for our fellow man. Paul says, do good unto all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. And, and so you would say that that's the difference between the cultural mandate and social justice? Yes. So like, yeah, the cultural mandate, God gives us a command to promote human flourishing. Yeah. Yes. And, and so, so yeah, so, so that's the nuance, that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. It begins with the beginning. It begins with Genesis. And the cultural mandate is that God, uh, when he created Adam and Eve, he created them as his image bearers and he gave them dominion. And that's a, that's a, a, that is a kingly thing to do, is to, to have dominion, is to reign. And so God gave the first human pair uh, the uh, authority to reign over his creation. They were, they were also called to be 
prophets in the sense that they would speak God's word. They were priests. They served God and so forth. And so God has, has created humanity in such a way that we have a common bond and that in Adam, all of us are brothers and sisters. There is a fraternity of the human race. And, and let me just point this out. In social justice, there's a lot of talk about race. But the biblical worldview does not see races. There is no such idea as races in the Bible. The Bible only acknowledges one race, the human race. You know, Paul says in Acts 17, out of one man, one blood, he made all nations. But the concept of races in the plural is really a, a Darwinian construct. Darwin saw the human, uh, the various human uh, groups as races. In fact, his book, uh, Origin of the Species and, and the Preservation of Favored Races, this is a social justice construct as well because they divide humanity into racial groups. And of mm -hmm. course, there's the idea of uh, the oppressed groups and then there's intersectionality, which is simply another term to say, well, if you're gay, you're oppressed. But if you are a black gay man, you're even more oppressed because you are not, it's not just your sexual orientation, it's now your skin color as well. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a, a, a black gay man who's also bisexual and maybe uh, transgendered, you're even more oppressed. So there's mm -hmm. degrees of oppression in this worldview. Yeah, and I, I think... You know, there's a level where sometimes we as a society gloss over the experiences of those people because they're they're so small in occurrence mm -hmm. that, you know, is there a potential that, you know, you think of the bathroom issue right. where it's like, okay, there's a group of people who are having a problem within society. Mm -hmm. And rather than trying to find a resolution that's, me, like helps everybody right you're you're elevating the one class and right. I, I think of you know there's a passage in exodus that says you shall not show or uh, it's in nasb nor shall nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute right and so oh because this person is deemed oppressed we have to elevate their right. needs above everybody else right. yeah, that's as opposed passage. to you know finding a resolution right? right like i understand there's a problem here right and and as a society that cares about the poor and a downtrodden, right. we should try to find a solution right. that's helpful to everybody. Right. But instead, we've elevated their problem right. in, in a way that's now having us to be oppressed. Right, or, that's or, right. You know, the family has to be concerned about a, yes. a, ma uh, a biological man dressed as a woman in the you know, bathroom with their kids. Yes, especially if they're a pedophile too. Yeah, right. And so what this raises, of course, this is a phenomenon that is only in the West. You will not see countries, for example, in Asia, you will not see Asian countries practicing this type of politics. Um, there is mm -hmm. no such idea of uh, Asian privilege or, the, or, or African privilege. You don't hear this in the continent of Africa. This is primarily a Western phenomena. We see this in North America. We see it in, in South America. We see this in Australia, New Zealand, uh, Western Europe. And what we're doing here is, as you, you exa that's exactly right, Joel, is what we're doing is we are elevating a certain group to a certain status, and, and we're doing it in the name of accommodation. We're trying to accommodate. But what that does is it raises the specter, the danger of, let's say, a pedophile. This is a pedophile's uh, dream come true. He can walk into <laughs> a girl's bathroom where there's a little girl. Your little girl went into the bathroom, and there's a pedophile at, at Walmart or whatever it may mm -hmm, be, mm -hmm. and he goes in there mm -hmm. and, and assaults the child. Um, which has happened, by the way, yeah, in the yeah, United yeah. States. So 
at what risk are we doing this? And I think we have to come to the point that we need to understand that gender dysphoria, the idea that, that someone is confused about their sexual gender, studies out of John Hopkins University have said that this is, a, a, that this is actually a mental disorder, that this is not something that is normal, that is natural. Mm-hmm. And so, and at the same time, these psychologists uh, are being uh, reprimanded and even um, censored for even saying such things. So just recently, I shared this with the class, the, the Canadian Cancer Society had uh, an ad talking about cervical cancer. And on the poster, you had a transvestite, uh, a man dressed up as a woman, and they were addressing the fact that transgendered people also have cervical cancer. Now, you have to step back and you have to ask yourself, how does someone who has male genitalia, whose chromosomes are XY, and they scream out, XY, you are a male, how does, how does a transgendered person have a cervix? So we're now at the state where science, which used to be based on fact and evidence, science is now giving way to a political ideology that, that does not resonate with truth and with science. We are living in very dangerous times. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's the aspect of, you know, what are the precursors to intersectionality and, and where they get into um, postmodernism and different things where, you know, some people would say it's a misapplication of postmodernism mm-hmm. and, and some of those ideas. And, and so without getting down that rabbit hole, but this idea of, you know, there's no ability for objective truth. Mm. And, and, you know, that's where I think a lot of this is rooted right. in, right? Because now essentially that's what you're saying within science we're like well that's not my truth i don't have to live exactly and and, you know what the the eventual trajectories of this are you know you're going to eat yourself in a sense right like it's only a matter of time it's actually been suggested by a swedish uh scholar that uh in order to save the planet with climate change uh, he has actually suggested that humans should probably resort to cannibalism that they should actually eat human flesh so I think what you said there, uh, no pun intended, I think there's some little truth to that. Uh, <laughs> and I like to see this professor lead by example, uh, but of course he won't. So, so this is where, but the point of postmodernism is connected to social justice as well. And, and why is it called postmodernism? Well, the concept of modernism was that science explained everything, that science was the, the basis of truth. That was the dominant view in the, in the early 20th century, all up until the 1960s with the sexual revolution. With the sexual revolution, there was a kickback against modernism because modernism, based on science, could not explain things like, for example, love. How does science explain love? How does science explain morality and aesthetics and the laws of logic? Science cannot explain this. Science cannot prove that a married bachelor is an unmarried man because it's true by definition. Mm-hmm. And so in the 60s, with the sexual revolution, there's a pushback. And with the advent of the New Age movement into the West, what you had was the rejection of objective reality and truth. So that now today, postmodernism says truth is not objective. Truth is whatever you believe it is. And if you look very carefully with the abandonment of God, the removal of God, you have removed the ground of all objective meaning and truth and purpose in the universe. And therefore, by removing God out of the picture, what are you left with? Well, morality is either a social construct, which many have argued it is, or it's an illusion, as Dr. Michael Roos, the evolutionist, has argued, uh, or it's just a humanistic convention. We just create morality. We just make it up so that we don't destroy ourselves. So it's, it's basically maintaining order in society so that we don't destroy ourselves. But there's nothing objectively evil about rape. 
in that worldview. Mm-hmm. There's nothing objective. Subjective morality. It's all subjective. And so we're back to the day of the judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that mm-hmm. is basically the essence of, of cultural uh, relativism and moral relativism. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I would think that there are people that reject the biblical standard, mm-hmm. but would say that there are objective truths. Mm-hmm. And so this is where, you know, you see things like um, there's the Sovereign Nations podcast, mm-hmm. Trojan Horse 1 and mm-hmm. 2, where you're seeing this, you know, staunch atheist yes. and Christian that are yes. coming in alignment sure. because although they don't uh, uh, accept our objective standard of right. moral truth, right. they do th- believe in the idea of right. a moral or, or an objective standard. Right. Right. Well, we think of Dr. Jordan Peterson as well. Yeah. And Dr. Peterson uh, has has said he's not a Christian, uh, but he does believe that the Christian worldview is the, the most supreme or the superior worldview. But we, we need to step back on this a bit and ask the question, like these two atheists on the Sovereign Nations bot, uh, uh, website, um, when they say there's objective truth and reality and then deny the existence of God, you have to ask the question, what are those objective morals grounded on? What is the reference point to these objective morals? Mm-hmm. Well, you, the atheist has to either fall back on nihilism, that there is no meaning or purpose to the universe and morality, or you have to uh, fall into um, subjective morality, which says you make it up as you go, or the only other alternative is you have to become a Platonist. And Plato believed that there was an objective moral standard and that it was grounded on what he called the good, which we would define as God. But for Plato, the good was not the personal deity. Was, he was not personal. He, he was not definitely not this personal God we see in Scripture. So what you have in the Platonic objective worldview that these atheists are, are believing on is more. there is an objective standard out there, but it's not grounded on anything. It's mm-hmm. kind of just hanging there. It's floating there. This mm-hmm. is Plato's idea of the good and justice and so forth. But here's the problem. If you have things just hanging there, I mean, you try hanging your coat in midair. <laughs> it just falls to the ground. You need to hang it on a, on a, on a hook. It needs to be grounded. So, so what I would do uh, with these gentlemen is I would press them on the fact, where is your objective morality grounded <laughs> on? What is the ground of that? What's the ontological or even the epistemological a dimension that you that you go into to decipher what is objectively right and wrong. And so without God, I think it's fair to say, as Duchievsky once said, that if God doesn't exist and everything is permissible. Uh, and if you look at the moral argument, the moral argument basically says um, that if God does not exist, objective moral morality does not exist. But objective morality does exist, therefore God exists. Mm-hmm. So I don't know any atheist who has told me that it's okay to rape, it's okay to abuse a child, it's okay to kill someone in cold blood. They all become objective moralists when mm-hmm. you press them on this. But, but theoretically speaking, this, this idea that, yes, there's this objective moral realm, but it's not grounded on anything, to me, it just sounds, no pun intended, baseless, groundless. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I brought it up to... to kind of get to the point at least those yeah. people we can engage with yes, the conversation absolutely on, right the person who yeah. deems everything is subjective yes. is they can just say well i don't believe that yeah and, yeah. and the conversation's over right the enemy right? of There's my enemy is my friend <laughs> yeah. So, yeah so in that yeah. respect absolutely but here's another thing these men are also the image of god they bear mm-hmm. god's image mm-hmm. and what does paul say in romans one he says that they know the truth but they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness they are without excuse and so as god's image bears they do have an awareness of morality 
Because God, according to Romans 1 and 2, God has placed his, his law, his moral law in every human conscience. And therefore, that's why Paul can say they are without excuse because they know God has put it in there. Their guilt is that they keep suppressing it so mm-hmm. that they can justify their sin. Well, and I think, you know, kind of what you hinted at, that they, they objectively know these things are immoral, like rape right. and murder. Right. And, and, but, but they can't articulate it because right. they're denying the only real source of, of that it, objective exactly. truth. And the lawgiver, uh, we're, we're, what law says that you shouldn't rape? What law says mm-hmm. that you shouldn't kill a human being? There's no atheistic law other than, well, we shouldn't harm people. But if we are evolved animals, if we're just animals by nature, well, what do animals do? Well, they, they, they're sexually promiscuous. They, they kill for, for power and authority mm-hmm. and, and territory and so forth. You've got the so-called mm-hmm. alpha male. Um, so if we're just animals, then mm-hmm. animals, uh, you know, a lion takes down a zebra. A lion's not charged with murder. Uh, you know, a hawk steals the, you know, one hawk swoops down and grabs a fish out of, out of the sea and another hawk takes it from their talons. We don't say, well, that hawk stole from the other hawk. We say he took it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet when we apply this to human beings, we don't, we don't say things like, well, you know, mm-hmm. he just killed that person because that person was getting in their way. Or mm-hmm. we always say, no, that was an abominable act. That was murder. And, and that's punishable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, in applying social justice in our particular context uh, as Canadians, what what does that look like? So when the student steps out of the classroom, they're able to recognize that. Yeah, I, I think that it's the old uh, char- Christian charity that that we hear so much about. That social justice says we do care, uh, we do do we do take care of those who are less fortunate. Mm-hmm. So for example, it has to begin at home. You know, they say that charity begins at home. So that's why Paul says, do good to all men, but to especially those of the household of faith. So number one, are we taking care of those in our churches, our local churches? Are we mm-hmm. caring for the widow? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard uh, uh, many women who are widowed and been widowed for many years talk about how they don't, they're not shown love by the church. The pastors usually ignore them. They don't pay attention to their needs. And that's sad. That's very sad. Mm-hmm. We should take care of our own first. We should make sure that people are, 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 if they've lost their job, that we can that we can come alongside of them and provide some temporary relief until they get back on their feet. So we got to take care of those within our churches first and foremost. If we can't do that, then we're, we're being hypocritical if we're mm-hmm. doing it outside the church. Now, in terms of outside the church, I think that Christians should participate in things like the food bank, helping out the food bank. I think we should, we should support ministries like Compassion. Uh, the Scott Mission in Toronto has been doing a great work in feeding the poor, uh, throughout the year, especially during Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, and so forth. So what does social justice look like? It looks like this. I, I, we go outside the four walls of our, of our churches, and we see human beings, and we look at them as God's image who are in need of help. And, and, it's, it's, and it's a tough job. Um, uh, I have relatives. Uh, my daughter, for example, works in, in counseling people with drug addiction and with, uh, with uh, drug addiction and, and other other um, addictions, and and her whole point is to care for these people, to try to get them back on track. And that can be very hard work. Mm-hmm. As you know as well, Joel, it can be very hard work to put these people back on their feet, uh, especially when they deal with, with issues like addiction or abuse and so forth. And that's what it looks like. It doesn't look like, you know, we're going to go out and we're going to dress up with uh, masks and, and helmets and, and clubs, and we're going to fight the, the fascists in our society, and we're <laughs> going to burn down uh, police cruisers. Fascism in the name of anti-fascism. Yeah. So anti-fascism, of course. And Winston Churchill once said that the future fascists will deny their fascists. Um, wow. And so Antifa, I see Antifa as anti-First Amendment. That's my acronym. 
anti-First Amendment, mm. anti-fa, because <laughs> in the United States they, they, they deplore freedom of speech, freedom of expression, and there's a dangerous move to shut down freedom of speech. Mm. Uh, so as Christians, we need to realize it's not about, I'm going outside there and, and it, there's, these are oppressed people and we're going to blame the church, we're going to blame society, we're going to blame the patriarchy. Victimization never helps people. It just mm -hmm. keeps them victimized. It keeps them angry. Uh, and so what we need to do is, is change our perspective and, and see people through biblical lenses. So, so, then, so then why is the church embracing social justice ideas, hence the need for the class? So why yes. would you say we see it in Christendom right yes, now? Yes, we see it entering into the churches because uh, some churches, particularly those in the U.S., um, have bought into the social the social oppression idea that, for example, Black Lives Matter, for example, mm -hmm. w from which we get this new term woke. You know, they're woke. It comes out of the Black Lives Matter movement. But there's a hypocrisy there as well. The Black Lives Matter movement only cares about black lives except when they come to black babies who are exponentially aborted, for example, in the state of New York, more than, than mm -hmm. white babies and so forth. They really don't care about black lives. They only care about a political agenda. But how it's entered the church is that many churches that have moved into the liberal specter, spectrum, rather, these churches begin to see that the major task of the church is, is to deal with social oppression. And so what's happening now is they've taken a, a view called critical race theory, mm -hmm. where what they're now doing is they're looking at the whole issue of the slave trade in American history. They're looking at the oppression of slaves under their white taskmasters and so forth. And what they're now doing is they're saying that the church has to recognize, especially the white folks in the church, have to recognize that they're guilty of causing and inflicting this oppression on, on, on the African-Americans and their ancestors and so forth. So what it's doing is it's creating uh, pockets now, tribal, group identity, as I said, is the, is, the, is, the, is the baby of social justice. They're now creating groups in the church, tribal groups that are now saying, we're oppressed and we're aggrieved and we need uh, acknowledgement. So there's churches in the U.S. that are now having services where they're apologizing to black members of the church for the slave trade, even though they had nothing to do with the slave trade. And, and m many of these black Christians uh, are, not, are not slaves or, 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 descendants. or descendants of slaves and so forth. So, so what's happening now is it's causing this rift in the church. It's causing this tribalism in the church where uh, as a white Christian, uh, you have nothing to say to the, to the black Christian because mm -hmm. you can't identify. You're not an oppressed. You have white privilege. And what it's doing is it's causing this schism in the church, which is a sin, because we were back to Adam and, and, and this, this federal, federal head of Adam and federal head of Christ. Um, we are now in Christ. We are part of a new humanity. Christ is the federal head of a new humanity. And in this family, what are we told in Galatians 3.28? There is neither Jew, nor Gentile, nor male, nor female, nor slave, nor free. You are one in Christ. So by doing this, what they're doing is they are fracturing the unity of the body of Christ and breaking it into these, these social groups. In Christ, we are forgiven. All things become new. The past is gone. And so the dangers of social justice and, and the whole critical race theory, I fear, is going to cause uh, not just fractures in the body of Christ, but it's going to turn the church into a social justice club.
Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up uh, because, it, you know, that's why, you know, we started the podcast. So, you know, me being black, Joel being mm-hmm. white, uh, we wanted to force the conversation. And sometimes like you need me as a variable. You need you need a it's like you need a black guy mm-hmm. in the room mm-hmm. to um, to for the conversation to be able to be validated. Right. In a sense. Right. So that's why Joel and I, um, you know, we started the podcast. Sure. Uh, my two cents, Joel's two cents and your two cents, the six cents report and, and having the conversation because. Le- OK, let's say there's a white person sitting here mm-hmm. and it's just you guys in here. Mm-hmm. The conversation is like, oh, well, you know, that's just, you know, white. Mm-hmm. right guys talking mm-hmm. but then when they're like okay wait but darnell's in the room and we right. know what we know where darnell comes from and what he represents right and he's agreeing right. so there must be something to what's going on here right right um i mean yes and no i i think that there's a there's a place for that mm-hmm. but i think at the same time uh, let's say we're here discussing buddhism Mm-hmm. Um, neither one of us are Buddhists. Mm-hmm. Can we discuss Buddhism? If you've studied Buddhism, if you're, let's say I had a PhD in Buddhist studies, can mm-hmm. we uh, speak for Buddhists? Mm-hmm. Well, we, we can't necessarily speak for Buddhists, but we can speak about Buddhism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, if we, if we, let's say we're, we're, we're talking about Islam and jihad mm-hmm. today. I'm not a Muslim, neither, uh, neither one of you are Muslims, but we can talk about Islam. Mm-hmm. And, and, so, and so the idea here is, unless you, you are in this oppressed group, you really can't speak for it or against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think it's all back to this group identity thing again. That's the mentality. So I would say yes and no. Um, of course, being a black Christian, uh, Darnell, uh, and, I, and I pastor a mainly Caribbean church, uh, and, and I understand the, the dynamics in, in, in society where, yes, there is still a prevailing racism in, 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 in our society. And so you probably have experienced uh, uh, forms of racism mm-hmm. against yourself because of your skin color. And so absolutely, there, there comes a place for that. And, but at the same time, when we say that, well, you, you can't really speak about this unless you're part of that identity group, um, our ultimate authority here is Jesus Christ and, and the scriptures. And the scriptures tell us that all human beings share a common lot. We are all sinners we have all come short of the glory of God. And at the end of the day, the answer is not reparations or social justice. At the end of the day, it is repentance, reconciliation with God, and being renewed. Mm-hmm. That's the answer. That's the gospel message right. that transcends culture, race, and, and ethnic identity. Yeah, it's, you know, when you're talking about the, one of the predicaments that you get placed in when you're engaging in a conversation, there's someone on the, you know, let's call it just the, the intersectionality sure, side sure. or you know the social justice side right. is that you're like we all have biases we all have blind spots right but there's this idea that you can't speak at all right to their perspective right where you know to your point about like yeah as if we're talking about buddhism mm-hmm. or muslim you know there's there's stuff we can independently know mm-hmm. and yes i would say i would agree that there's an aspect like until i've li- had the the experience of actually living right. in a Muslim mosque or, you know, in a Buddhist temple, there's, I'm going to be ignorant to some of those things, but to dismiss my perspective altogether is what they're doing. Right. And the oppressed group claims that their perspective of the other side is valid and superior and superior. And so, and so they'll knock you down and, and then what they'll do is they'll say, but they have a right to speak against your oppression or your white privilege and so forth. 
So, so it's, a, it's, it's basically, uh, you know, it's laws for thee, but not for me. Uh, and that's what you find. And, th and they will say they have a right to say that because they are an aggrieved party. They're an oppressed party. And therefore, they have a right to fight back against the oppressor. And, mm -hmm. and the old communist uh, motto was, by all means necessary, even if it may include sometimes violence. Well, I mean, when you look at communism, socialism, it's, you know, it's, it's the, the interesting thing about Marx was there was this, you know, by force until we reach utopia. Right. And then somehow this force is right. just going to magically disappear. Right. The end will justify the means. Right. And right. But, but there's no discussion of how this, you know, new force or power hierarchy yeah. that you're yeah. considering just right. Is, right. is going to desegregate or, or disseminate itself. Right, right. And, and again, the end, the idea was the end will justify the means. No matter how we get there, how we get there to that end point, the utopian world is all that matters, even if it involves the, the, the murder of millions. And of course, we saw that under Marx. We saw it under, well, not so much Marx, but under Lenin and then Stalin and of, of course Mao in, in China, Pol Pot in Cambodia uh, and, and Vietnam and so forth. So um, I, I would think for, for the Christian who's you know, engaging in conversation with someone on the other side Do, does your you know lecture and if not if not your lecture but what would be your advice or how are you teaching to engage these ideas because you know as we've been discussing there's so much of whether it's assumptions or or framing of conversation mm -hmm. that makes conversation almost impossible mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so how do you kind of teach or or recommend engaging with those that are on the opposite side i think you need to forge a relationship with them you have to have a common ground of some sort you have to befriend them. Uh, this is not going to go away overnight. This is going to involve time and patience. And I think what, what we need to do is we need to s set straight the fact that, hey, you know what? Uh, I appreciate you as a human being. I believe you have a freedom of speech. I believe you have a freedom to express yourself. And I believe that you're, are, you are an, an image bearer of God. You have to begin with that, to realize that I regard you as an equal. I regard you as a human being. I don't see you as an oppressor or an oppressed. We're all under oppression in terms of, I mean, you know, sin has dominated. And, of course, there's the whole satanic element to, to, to evil and so forth. But I think we need to start off by saying where we stand. We have to define our terms. Um, now, you have to bear in mind that the social justice folks conceive of Christianity uh, as a patriarchal system. So they're going to look at you as, a, as a, uh, a promoter, an advocate for the patriarchy. And the patriarchy basically means that uh, men have violently subjugated women, and uh, white men in particular have subjugated uh, others. And Christianity, they will tell you, was written by men, they will tell you it, it advocates the idea that God is male, even though that's incorrect. They'll say God is a father, he's king, he's lord, he's master. Uh, God didn't send his daughter into the world, he sent his son. And they'll say that this is all patriarchy. Mm -hmm. and, and it's what con it's what suppresses women's rights and so forth. You need to dismiss these myths. And that means it's going to take time. Now, you also have to realize that some people just don't want to talk. There comes a point where people just say, hey, you know what? They're just there for mm -hmm. the argument. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so argument for the sake <laughs> of argument is a sin. But yeah. argument for the sake of truth is a divine command. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if someone's just going to argue with you, they're just there to argue with you, 
there does come a point where, you know, Jesus says, there's a reason why he says, don't give what is holy to the dogs. Don't throw your pearls before swine. It's a very strong language. Shake the dust off your feet. Yeah, that's strong language. And he's saying, look, don't give what is holy to the dogs. Don't give the pearls of the gospel to the swine because they don't recognize its value. They'll just trample on it and turn against you. So it, it involves time, just like when I teach on Islam or on the cults. How do you, how do you share the gospel of Mormon or Jehovah's Witness? It, mm -hmm. it involves time. Don't treat them as your enemy. Treat them as a human being. They have needs, they have families, and so forth. Mm -hmm. and, and most of all, treat them with compassion and with love, the way Christ would have treated them. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you do that, it does make a difference. Yeah, yeah. it's funny. I think of like the conversations, especially like I can think of specifically with my wife, mm -hmm. where she's perceiving some of my pushback as arguing for arguing. Mm. And so there's an aspect of even you know, careful in how you're engaging. Right. I mean, especially, I'm very blunt. I'm very, you know, non-emotional in my sure, conversations. Sure. I, I would say I'm generally not tied to any particular right. opinion. Right. I'm willing to kind of, with the handful of closed-fisted Christian truths, ev almost everything yeah. else I hold with an open palm. Right. And so I'm, you know, giving pushback, but a lot of times I may not convey that I'm really trying to challenge my own views as mm -hmm. well as understand the other person. Right. And I think your point about time right. and yes. developing relationships yes. such that the person's and I, and I had this, you know, I said this specifically to my wife. It's like, you know, that I value your opinion, you know, like, so as much as you might perceive my behavior as such, you know, that's not true. Yeah. Right. That I'm, that I'm dismissing you or that I don't think you're right. Or that I'm trying to say that you're wrong. Like I understand that that sure. might be my, the way I'm presenting myself or engaging sure. that might come across that way. Sure. But part of it is being able to actually say that to her is because I have a foundation to go like, okay, I'm going to work on me because I know I need to right. convey better to you. But hey, you also need to understand like as much as you might perceive me acting a certain way, the foundation we have demonstrates that that's not right. my objective. I'm not just trying right. to win an argument. Right. And so I think coming back to it again, that, that you know, building a relationship yes. first to to be able to have an honest conversation with someone to say, okay, you just said something that goes contradictory to what I believe. Can you unpack that? Can you like, cause I think it's a bunch of yeah. hot garbage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so getting into that kind of, you know, nuanced conversation, I think um, is really what I was asking is how do you right. get there? And I think you, you right. laid it out perfectly. That right. It's, and it's and dialogue, dialogue is about uh, two sides, two speakers. And so the idea is, discussing things, talking about things. I mean, Jesus trained his disciples for three years. He didn't give them a one-year training session. He trained them for three years. And what did that do? He taught them. He, he patiently endured them. Mm -hmm. And he listened to them. <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah, that's with, funny. with their high level of ignorance that <laughs> he was fully aware of. <laughs> especially Peter with his you know, foot-to-mouth disease, where he kept putting his foot in his mouth. So it involves time. And, and even with students. I mean, you don't come to a seminary and earn a bachelor's in a, in a, in a year. You, you put in three to four years or so. It takes time. It takes, uh, you know, it's about constructive criticism. It's not destructive criticism, constructive criticism. And Socrates put it this way, the unexamined life is not worth living. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that applies theologically. The unexamined faith is not worth believing. Mm -hmm. And if your faith cannot stand scrutiny, then really, I mean, is it really believable? Truth yeah. will I, I would uh, flip it a little bit, just because mm -hmm. I know from my own life, is it really your faith? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like how much, like growing up, I had all this morality, I had all this belief. Yeah. And, and I realized, well, I was taught this. I was yes. kind of downloaded it from my parents yes. and my, my yes. upbringing. 
but I didn't own it. Exactly. I wasn't, no, and I, could it be true? Because, I mean, it's like a Muslim saying, I was born a Muslim and I was raised in Islam and the Quran is the word of God and therefore Islam is true. Not necessarily. Uh, but at the same time, we need to avoid the genetic fallacy, which says, well, you know, Joel, you only believe that because you only believe God exists because your parents raised you as a Christian. Right. Well, that's a genetic fallacy because it may be that Christianity is true. Uh, mm -hmm. irrespective of its of, of where you learned it. Mm -hmm. So we it, it, you need to understand that it can be true. And and Christianity, when you put Christianity and Islam together, just because Christianity can refute Islam doesn't necessarily mean that Christianity is true by default. Mm -hmm. It must be true if, if it if it's based on facts or mm -hmm. what we call the correspondence theory of truth, that it, it corresponds to reality and truth. Uh, and so that's a good point that you make, because a lot of folks will say, well, you, you know, of course, Joel, of course you're going to believe that because you were raised a Christian. That's not an argument against whether it's true or not. Hmm. It could still be true. But yeah. conversely, it could be false, too. Yeah. But well, and yeah. I think, you know, you're reminding me of the years ago when I spent the time going through Lee Strobel's books, Case yes. for Christ, and yes. stuff like that. What I found was that so much of the anti-Christian arguments mm -hmm. or anti-Bible arguments are really here's a reason to doubt arguments. Yeah. But they're unsubstantiated doubts. Right. right. Um, you know, or they're very loosely playing with the facts doubts. And and similarly that argument is, oh, giving you a reason to doubt. It mm -hmm. doesn't actually disprove no. your opinion. It just gives you a reason to doubt it. That's right. And there's always going to be reasons to doubt until we're yeah. sitting in front of God and being able to get yeah. the objective truth like perfectly. Yeah, and doubting is okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus had a doubter as a disciple, Thomas, mm -hmm. and and he didn't. He was an empiricist. I won't believe unless I see. Seeing is believing. So it, it's okay to doubt, uh, and it's okay to question. It, it, we're not saying you should just believe it because it, you know the Bible says it. That settles it, mm -hmm. and therefore you just could devote yourself to this acceptance and unquestioned authority that's not the way it works we have the right to ask questions god is not afraid of our questions god's got a big chin he can take it <laughs> uh, he invites us come let us reason together says the lord you know your sins are scarlet i'm going to make them white as snow and so god invites us to dialogue he wasn't afraid of job and his questions and his three friends uh, you know at the end of the story god confronts job and 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 tells asks job a series of questions that job can't even answer Mm -hmm. And then he admits, he says, I've spoken of things that are above me and too high, high for me to understand. So Christianity is about thinking. It's about thinking and yeah. engaging. So, so my next question has to do with uh, the debate within the reform camp. So yes. I, I coined the term uh, team woke and team spoke. <laughs> right. <laughs> so That's good. So what was oh, OK for the listeners who don't know? Sorry. Uh, so team woke is who's on team woke uh so pastor eric mason tim keller. Uh, uh tim keller um matt chandler um anthony bradley yeah they're, they're these guys and then you have uh team spoke uh james white james james white, flight yeah. white <laughs> sam say mm -hmm. um daryl harrison yeah. tom buck uh, and, and and those guys. So you know, you, we see the going back and forth on Twitter and so forth. And Tabiti as well. To, yeah, oh yeah, to Tabiti's yeah. team uh, woke. woke. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, team woke. See, this is helpful because sometimes we're talking, we're like, oh, oh liberal right, like, well, yeah. team woke, yeah. team spoke. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. basically, well, I, I think. Take? I, I mean, I understand what what the woke folks are trying to say. They're trying to talk about oppression and so forth and so on. But the thing is, again, we're losing sight of the fact that the answer to the to, to the problem is not this social justice idea of reparations and 
acknowledgement and, and apologies and so forth. I mean, how far does this go? I mean, yeah. we need to apologize. Like the Liberal Party of Canada has been uh, understood to be a party that has apologized more than any other party in Canadian history. <laughs> they've apologized to the Aboriginals. They've apologized to the Jews. They've apologized to this group. And, and let's face it. I mean, when we really think about reparations and so forth, uh, how far do we go? I mean, I mean, should certain Aboriginal groups have reparations from other tribal Aboriginal groups that dominated them and enslaved them as well? Um, or, or arguably the people who in Africa yes. sold them who yes. might actually be poor now. Correct, correct. And there's there's <laughs> African tribes that, that actually enslaved other African tribes. Yes. Yeah. And then what about uh, should uh, uh, should Christians in the Middle East get reparations from ISIS? And and what about the whole Islamic conquest that, that took over all of Christian uh, uh, Europe? They, they took over Iran, Iraq. They took all of North Africa. Uh, they went as far as Spain and then got booted out by Charles Martel. But um, what about the Islamic world apologizing for taking all these vast lands that were all Christian at one time? But you see, this is what I'm saying. It's a Western phenomenon. You don't hear people in the Middle East talking about these things. You don't hear Asians talking about this or in the continent of Africa. And so when, when we're talking about all of these, this, this whole woke system and so forth, as Christians, our... our our foundation is this. We are now new creatures. We are a new creation under a new federal head. And in that federal head, all things are new. All things have passed. So by bringing these issues up, what we're doing is we are, we are again, creating these little pockets in the church. We're creating these, these tribal conflicts in the church. Take, for example, right now um, you have... Uh, 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 my pastor friend, Sule Prince, was in Rochester, New York about a year or so ago, and he was at a conference, and they were spewing this stuff. It was all about um, black churches, and it was all about uh, having uh, white churches apologizing for what they had done. And he was so uncomfortable, he just said, you know, I can't be here. I got to get out of here. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he's mm -hmm. definitely with the spoke camp. He's not with the woke camp. Uh, and, and, and so what you're finding is a lot of these groups, you have Harvard now having blacks only graduation and, and now you're having various groups where it's, 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 it's black proms. And so what are we doing? We're seeing the reintroduction of the Jim Crow laws mm -hmm. that in, Martin in, Luther King wanted to see abolished on, on the complete opposite motivations. Yes. And so which is what, ironic. what Martin Luther mm -hmm. was fighting was this whole thing of segregation blacks only whites only he says i see a time when when everyone will, will come together and and he said men will not be judged by the skin the color of their skin but on the the, the content of their character and so what are we seeing we're seeing the very things that Lu that martin luther king fought against and who's supporting the segregation it's the left not the right it's mm -hmm. the left that's supporting it mm -hmm. so the left is for segregation yeah, mm -hmm. which is what we've always known. I mean, if you go right back to the oh, yeah, Democratic yeah. Party and the KKK that came out of the Democratic Party, it was always the Democrats who pushed for the segregation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's you know it's funny because when you were talking about you know creating camps within mm -hmm. the church and, and yeah. you're kind of like you know this group is oppressed by this group, I was reminded, um, or so let me give a little more context. For the most part, Team Woke. Is mm -hmm. part of Gospel Coalition, mm -hmm. or, or there's a lot of overlap. Mm -hmm. Gospel yes. Coalition. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but what's funny is last year I was at the Gospel Coalition National Conference for Canada, and um, uh, Pastor R.J. Umandiap, mm -hmm. I don't know if I said his name right, but he is uh, a Filipino pastor mm -hmm. 
who has been focusing on converting his church from an ethnic church to a multicultural church. And it was a really interesting talk. But what I found was like, this is literally polar opposite of what the social justice movement right. is doing. What do you mean? Right. Um, well, like, so his, he spoke about, you know, what is, why do people value this Filipino church? Mm-hmm. And it was a lot about, you know, being a foreigner and, yes. you know, you're getting a yes, level right. of like home. Yes, that's right. You know, you're feeling comfortable in a place where you're so uncomfortable. Right. And so there's a component where the, that the church is meeting this, you know, personal need. Mm-hmm. But as a church, you're not doing what the God's ca- what God calls you to do. Right. And mm-hmm. so, you know, taking this ethnic church to become a multi-ethnic or a multicultural church mm-hmm. as as part of in order for that church to flourish as well as meet preach the, the gospel. Co- yeah, mm-hmm. and meet mm-hmm. the co- other cultural mandates, mm-hmm. other mandates that we're mm-hmm. called as Christians to do. Um, and so it's just, I mean, it was great because this is the Gospel Coalition, and he's you know, part of it, he's doing yeah. a breakout session talking about this. There's an article I'll put in the show notes page. Uh, it was called five things we learned as we transitioned from an ethnic to a multicultural church. Um, and so actually I think his wife is a subscriber on Podbean. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Oh, cool. But, um, anyways, it was just, I, I was so, you know, I went into this going like, just based on the title, I was like, I don't know what to expect, you know, especially mm-hmm. with the whole, you know, social justice and the gospel statement that came out pretty much around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was just really encouraging to see, you know, someone like this kind of recognizing, hey, wait, our church is doing something, you know, outside of what we're called to do, um, you know, in, in the sense of becoming isolated to our one ethnicity. Um, one of the things my church, um, Hope Bible Church in Oakville, kind of you know, I hear the leadership constantly bring it up as a component. I don't want to say pride, but like as a recognition of like, okay, we're doing what God's, how many languages are spoken? How many different countries of origin are the congregation within the church? Um, as, as a sign of we are one church, but we have so much diversity in who we represent without creating pockets of people. Uh, okay. So let me just speak to that and then, We'll let you be the judge. (laughs) So, so the nuance is I come here to Jarvis, Mm -hmm. right? So Jarvis, it doesn't get more multicultural (laughs) than Jarvis Street Baptist Church. But when people, you know, talk about, you know, when I read articles and so forth, you know, Jarvis is multicultural. That wasn't a mandate. That's not a mandate here. There's no poster. Nobody told us to do that. It's a reflection of where we're located. Right. Because we're 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 located in the heart of the city. We have different classes of people and different ethnicities. Now, if you're like in the middle of nowhere where there's no other uh, ethnicities and you just have that one particular group, um, it is what it is. Um, and so that you shouldn't really, you know, I don't I don't think it's a good thing to say, OK, well, we're less of a church because we don't have enough black people, brown people, Asian people. Um, and so that's why I think you got to be careful when we talk like that. But what would you say? Yeah, I think that's true. You know, in real estate, we always hear location, location, location. Mm-hmm. And so there's some truth to that. I mean, I used to pastor uh, a Chinese church out in Scarborough uh, for five years. And we were up in the, near the border with Markham and, and Scarborough. And, and obviously in Markham, there's a, a high uh, contingency of, of Asians. And so it's no surprise that many of the churches in that area are predominantly Asian. Mm-hmm. But but what we're beginning to see is, of course, there's other groups slowly coming into the area, and you're beginning to see the, the congregation change. Now, we need to also understand 
that as the church, we are called to take the gospel out. We're called to engage others with the mm -hmm. gospel, irrespective of their background. And so part of the reason why uh, you should see various people coming into the church is because of your of your witness, of your evangelism, mm. and, and inviting them to church and so forth. So there is truth, I think, to both of what you're saying. I think you both uh, are, are, are justified in your, in your reasoning. Uh, and I've also noticed a phenomena in Richmond Hill and in Markham now where many of these churches that used to have the word Chinese in it, Oh, yes, yes. Like, for example, I used to yes. pastor uh, Millican Chinese Community Church mm -hmm. uh, the, as one of the English pastors. And now it's known as Millican, Christian, uh, Millican um, uh, uh, Community Church. They removed the word Chinese. Richmond Hill had uh, one, a very large church on Bayview in 16th. Uh, used to be called Richmond Hill Chinese Community Church. Now it's Richmond Hill Christian Community Church. So they're dropping the ethnic term. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and in one sense, when you have an ethnic term on the church, it, it can be a bit of a... It can be a bit of an obstacle because people assume that, well, if it's a Chinese church, then... I must speaking, be Chinese. They, they're speaking Chinese, and <laughs> I don't know Chinese, even though mm -hmm. there's an English congregation in there. Mm -hmm. So so um, I've seen some ethnic church groups in certain areas where the er the area is diverse, and mm -hmm. they want to stay ethnic. Like, they want to stay, you know, we're a Filipino church, or we're a, a black church. We want to stay Caribbean. We want to stay Filipino, mm -hmm. and so forth. And, and the thing is, the Great Commission is very clear make disciples of all nations. Uh, and, and in order to do that, we need to be fishers of men. But we end up being uh, keepers of the aquarium. We just <laughs> want to keep... Keepers of the aquarium. We, wanna keep, <laughs> we just want to keep the fish in there, right? Yep. And just take care of them or do the holy huddle every Sunday. Holy huddle, yeah. okay. So, yeah, and, and I think that was, you know, RJ's point with his yeah. thing was about, yes. you know, we don't want the person outside of our ethnicity to come to this church yeah. and feel like an outsider. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, similarly with, you know, when I was talking yeah. about Hope Bible Church in Oakville, yeah. where it's like, they didn't set out to be multicultural. No. And, but it was a matter of, you know, staying true to the word. Sure. And, and that's a testament to the fact that you're prioritizing the word and exegesis right. first as a means of who's in your congregation, right? right? If you're, right. because if you're saying, oh, the word plus an ethnicity as right. our primary focus. Right, right. Now, there's right. also the, you know, flip that around and to say. Yeah, and there's the sovereignty of God too. God yep. calls his people to himself. And so we, we, we have this understanding that, that my sheep will hear my voice and, and they will come in and there'll be one fold. So absolutely. But yes. we, we have to understand there are certain locations where it's, it's primarily, you know, I, I preach at a church up in Tottenham from time to time and a little country church and uh, it's predominantly white. And that's because the, 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 the geography, the <laughs> yeah. demographics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, that plays a huge role. Like, you know, us, again, going to this church, it's probably going to stay primarily Filipino because yeah. of the location. Correct. Yeah. But if you're making it in such a way that uh, someone who's not Filipino comes there and is like, I can't, I can't stay here. Yeah. Right. That's, you know, and, and yeah. I would assume the same thing in Tottenham. Yeah. Right. If someone comes there who's yeah. of an, un, another ethnicity. Yeah. If they're, if somehow you're making them feel unwelcome. Sure. Yeah. Sure. the predicament. Yeah. But there's a wrong way. There's a wrong way to do it in a right way to do it in regards to the polity of your church. So I, I know there's a lot of arguments within the social justice Christian camp of, they won't use the term, but affirmative action mm -hmm. in regards to electing your elders. Mm -hmm. So the, in theory, um, if you have a black elder or um, a black man in leadership, you will draw um, more black people. And it's, it's true. It's true because I, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I'll be honest. I'll I'll keep it one hundred with you. <laughs> the reason why I came to Jarvis is because Pastor Glennon's black. <laughs> All right, 
It was just one of those things. You know, I was at Grace Fellowship and there was Paul Martin and and I was kind of like, okay, uh, you know, I don't feel that comfortable. And then so I was like, I went with what was familiar. Now, when I look back at it now, uh, that's irrelevant. You know, God worked everything out, but that was relevant. But I can see the pull of, you know, having an Asian guy in leadership sure. and, and a black guy in leadership. But, but we all know, according to the scriptures, what qualifies you is Correct. your character. Correct. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. When I was, uh, when I was uh, pastoring the Chinese churches, it was quite the opposite. The, the second generation Chinese actually wanted uh, Caucasian pastors mm-hmm. uh, because they wanted to connect with, I guess, um, the, 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 the country of Canada and, and in their schools that they were multicultural and so forth. And so mm-hmm. there was actually a, a demand uh, for pastors who were non-Asian for the second generation Chinese who were uh, predominantly English speaking. Mm-hmm. So it, it's quite an interesting phenomenon. But but you're you're right, Darnell, that, you know, the pastoral letters are very clear to be an elder. It doesn't say, well, you have to be, you know, you have to be Jewish or you have to be uh, Greek or you have to be. Uh, a barbarian it says no you have to be a believer you have to be a one a one woman man uh, you must rule your house well and so forth so notice the scriptures don't look at the color of one's skin it looks at their character yes, mm-hmm. yes. and that's what Amen. martin luther king was saying was uh, that people should not be judged on the, the color of their skin but on the content of their character mm-hmm. and that's how god judges us as well uh, you know it's not on on who you are but 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 are you qualified for this job yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind. One is, and we you, you touched on this briefly a, a while back now, but uh, equity versus equality yes, of opportunity. Yes. And and so, you know, are we putting somebody on our elder board for to achieve equity? Right. Right? Exactly. As opposed to, um, you know, the idea of equal opportunity. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the principle, like if we take what Paul said about to the Greek, I'm mm-hmm. a Greek, to the mm-hmm. Jew, I'm a Jew. Right. There's an aspect where we want our elders to be able to relate to our right. congregation. Right. And so having that as a part of the mandate might result in, you know, a black or Filipino elder, right. but it's based on a quality of opportunity right. and, and meeting the needs of our congregation. Um, not just, oh, because you check mark Oh, our fifteen percent of our congregation is, yeah, black. Having the right representatives. Yeah, having, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Because you know, there's other aspects of your, you know, congregation where, like, arguably, you could say fifteen percent of our congregation is poor. So right. I need a poor elder. <laughs> yes, like, yes. You, yes. You, like, uh, you know, yes. does that is that right, wrong, and right. different? Like, I mean. It's the same argument, but we don't apply yeah, it, right? Exactly. So, but at the end of the day, it's I would say you look at the diversity of your elders and say, is our congregation able to come to an elder that they can say, okay, I can relate to that guy. I can right. communicate with that guy. And if your you know, black congregants don't have an elder they can come to, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and whether a black elder is a solution or not, I think is something you may need to wrestle with. Right. But it's a deeper issue than checking marking, oh, they have the unrelevant qual- characteristic. Right. Because skin color actually doesn't make them more relatable right. in the long run. Right. It may right. only be that first. And, you know, and what's messed up is, you know, you elect the black guy because he's black and then he but falls to sexual sin. Yeah. He falls to sexual sin. Ah, you see these black yeah. guys? Yeah. That's why we don't put them in. 
but that's where a quality of opportunity now says we're still going to pick the best right. candidate. Right. And that's what isn't that what what the West has been built on is on this yes. understanding. Yeah. And not just that, but look at our universities. Our universities discriminate all the time. You know, people apply to the University of Toronto and they don't get in. Why? Because they want the highest marks. They want mm-hmm. the A's and the A pluses to enter into medicine, into law, into engineering, and so forth. And so what you find in the universities is, look, if you're running a university and, and you're part of the Ivy League schools, Harvard or, or Yale, whatever it may be, they do discriminate. They want the best. Now, what you're seeing, unfortunately, is now there's a move in academia. Uh, the University of Sydney in Australia has just said they're going to lower their standards for uh, female applicants into the engineering schools. What's going on here? I mean, by lowering standards, imagine lowering standards in a medical science uh, uh, school where people are being called to be cardiologists, neuro, uh, neuroscientists, and so forth. Would you trust a doctor who just got in because of his skin color and not because he's qualified to, to open up your chest and, and <laughs> fix your valves on your heart? And so what we find is that the whole concept of, of, of um, the idea of this this equality of opportunity is is what gives us that the push in our lives to excel. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make the same, if you're going to be the same thing as the other person, what's what what point is there in in working hard in in trying to get ace those marks and so forth? What's the point? Well, there's no progress. Progr- progress is 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 basically deflated. And the irony is that the social justice warriors, their argument is that we're progressive when in fact they're regressive. So mm-hmm. look at Justin Trudeau. He he says, I'm going to create a caucus where it's 50% men, 50% women. Yeah. But it wasn't 50% women that were elected. So, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, they're putting people in there not because they're qualified, they have the, the skills to do the job. They're putting them in there because of their sexual gender or their color. And and that, of course, is, is what we, we saw happening in the history of communism. And that's what led to, of course, the, the mm-hmm. abuse and, and the and the uh, the persecutions that that accompanied it yeah uh, i wanted to touch on a point you talked about discrimination mm-hmm. so in the book economics economic facts and fallacies by thomas Sowell, mm-hmm. uh, he darnell's says, favorite book yeah he's, <laughs> no, he's one of my favorite <laughs> no, no, uh <laughs> sociologists too yeah yeah so so he says here uh discrimination is one of those words that is often used and seldom defined bias Prejudice and discrimination are often lumped together as if they were pretty much the same thing. But bias and prejudice are attitudes, things inside people's heads, while discrimination is an overt act taking place outside of the, outside in the real world. So what he's saying is that um, the small distinctions when analyzing economic differences, which are things visible in the real world. So he, he's essentially saying, you know, we have biases and we have prejudices. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we um, apply it, um, we are discriminating now there's different ways that may manifest and you know there, there's a cost for that um, but you know especially for christians you know we talk about you know not showing preference um to the poor mm-hmm. right like the passage you yeah quoted, exodus yeah, um, or to the rich man that comes into your place James, yeah yeah but then there's points where where, where we have to discriminate um mm-hmm. for those who come into a university mm-hmm. or a doctor that's qualified sure Sure, and, and even and even in our churches, uh, we have to discriminate in in the sense that, uh, let's say someone here at Jarvis, you're right here at the core of the downtown yes. area of Toronto, and you get some folks coming in, who may have mental illness, mm-hmm. uh, who may be inebriated, 
And you have to discriminate in the sense of this person's going to come and they're going to disrupt a lawful assembly. Well, someone's got to do something. They've got mm-hmm. to move them out. Because and it's happened. And it's happened. <laughs> it happened tons of times. Yeah, it's happened. Get I've, your hand on my pocket. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and, and you, know, uh, you know, they think that being under the blood is some, some threat against their life or something. Mm-hmm. But, but you have to discriminate. And, and, and universities discriminate all the time. I mean, we discriminated. I mean, we're married men. We discriminated. We chose our <laughs> wife over some other woman. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so there comes a place for discrimination. And when we talk about bias, we're all biased. Yes. I have mm-hmm. a Christian bias. The Muslim has a Muslim bias. The social justice warrior has a social justice bias. We are all biased. But but when we talk about discrimination, I mean, there is a positive use of the word discrimination. There's a negative use. A negative use is when you discriminate against someone because they're not your color or they're not your ethnic uh, group. So at the end of the day, I mean, we are all prejudiced. We all prejudge uh, things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm prejudiced when I... When I go shopping, I, I like this brand over this brand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I'm prejudiced. I, I'm biased in the fact that uh, that I uh, I prefer uh, Sprite over Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's how we engage these words, but and these the words, connotation to and the connotation, well, and yeah, because because the, the stigma to these words is if you were to say, okay, well, discrimination is okay. No, it's not. Right. Because the, 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 well, we associate that word with racism, right? Yes, and, and I would yeah. say inappropriately, right? Yeah. Because it 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 doesn't recognize that you know racism is one example of discrimination. Yes, right. And I yes. would make your statement in a more general sense that un or bad discrimination is basically making a discrimination or a decision based on characteristics that are irrelevant to the decision. Right. Correct. Right. So that can be race. That could be. Picking a female leader because she's a female, right. not because right. she's more qualified for right. the job. And we saw that in the U.S. with Barack Obama. Most mm-hmm. said they voted for him because he was black. They wanted yeah. the first black president. Yeah. yeah. Regardless although of he's what not, his policy Although was. he's not black, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. We're not going to get into that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I would say, you know, we've had a really good productive conversation for the, for the listener. Um, you know, how could they, uh, whether it's interact with you directly, uh, you know, social media or even interact with your content, mm-hmm. um, you know, can you give them kind of how they would reach out to you and, yeah. and you know, we'll yeah. put all that uh, references and links in the show notes page. Sure. Sure. They can uh, connect with me uh, by email if they'd like. My email is uh, tmcos at rogers.com. T as in Tony, M as in Michael, C as in uh, Christopher, O as in Oscar, S as in Sam at rogers.com. And I'm also on social media on Twitter. If they go to at tmcos underscore Tony, they can connect with me there as well. All right. Sounds good. And uh, thank you for your time. My pleasure. I had a great time. Yeah. Yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun. Uh, and, and I hope the class goes well. And for those of you guys uh, listening, uh, hopefully when the class comes back around, uh, you guys should really take it and check it out. They can still up, they can still register if they wish. We're just uh, we're in our second week now. We just started last uh, Monday. So uh, to, uh, this coming Monday will be the second class. So it's still not too late if they wish to register. <laughs> You heard me? Does that make sense?